Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 151, recorded on February 2nd. The Cloud Pod free trial ends next month. Or does it? Good evening, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. We're a full house tonight. Woohoo! Yeah. Maybe it's a little too soon with Bob Saget's death following a full house. I don't know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but at least I see everyone's faces. Uh, first time in the new year that all of us have made it to the show. So that's great. And then next week we're back to, uh, we're not having everyone here, but that's okay. We're going to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 151 made me like Pavlov's dog. I, I flinched from college drinking Bacardi. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> that, those are definite problems. All right. Well, we have, we have some news. Let's get into it. Uh, first up, some general stuff here. Zscaler CEO. Uh, Jay Chaudhry says that Zero Trust has been hijacked by the network security firms. Uh, he said Zero Trust, of course, one of the current buzzwords that's taken the world by storm. Uh, and of course, this is something that the marketers will take advantage of. Uh, Jay contends that you're practicing Zero Trust or you're investing in network security. You can't do both. And true Zero Trust involves connecting users directly to applications without going over the network at all. And that this is the opposite of securing your network architecture. He contends that legacy companies have hijacked the term and it's lost all its meaning. Hmm, so we're like cloud, but that's okay. Uh, of course, Zscaler is uh, you know, biased in this as they have a zero trust exchange, which confines a cloud-based secure web gateway with a cloud delivery zero trust network access, ensuring that only the authorized users can connect to your applications. And Zscaler, I mean, of all the companies that could be doing zero trust, I could see how they have probably a pretty good play there with a centralized proxy server kind of architecture that they've built out. But uh, you know, you guys think about this idea that Everyone else is hijacked and you can't do both. I agree. I mean, I, I, I do. I agree with the, 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 the premise. I also think that, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you know, they are sort of coming from the perspective of, of, you know, their, their solution is just, it's really not compatible with, you know, having internal networks, protecting it with high world gardens. So it's a little bit sort of, you know, how do you, how do you get there would be my question. You know, if you're if you are on that zero trust journey, just on day one, push everything out of your net box and back in the front door, and then figure it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you're still aiming to meet the same compliance requirements, regardless of how you, how you choose to to do that. You do the zero trust model, or do you do the the old fashioned firewalls and VPNs, and everyone everyone sort of is funneled through the centralized piece of infrastructure. I always thought zero trust just made things so much simpler. Not just don't tr- just treat every network as a public network, and then like there's going to be workloads that that's a bigger challenge to get to get them you know in your business workflow, you know, especially legacy stuff. But it does simplify your overall architecture. Just we're, we're not trusting the network, period. And I like that. Yeah, I, I like it as well. And, yeah. I agree that it's probably not the same company delivering both things or at least in the same appliance or the same area, but they can support each other. So I, I sort of sort of disagree on on some of the contention that they can't be completely, you know, have some overlaps. I do think there's some ability to to validate, you know, trust but verify that your zero trust is working with this network appliance <laughs> that can then tell you that it's actually validating or not working. Uh, so I think there's, you know, there's definitely different options around some of that. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with his main point. I would kind of argue that the biggest flaw in the internet today in IPv4 was that we chose to make the assumption that the network was private hmm. and trusted, right? 
That's the main flaw. Yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff which was never encrypted. I mean, even DNS today, for the most part, unencrypted. And that's such a vector for attack. Not to mention, we, you know, if you look back at the original networks and we've got a hub and uh, we have a message for a specific machine and we decide to send it to everybody and trust that only the machine who it's sent to is going to listen to it. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the whole concept of TCPIP, right? Yeah. Agreed. All right, well, let's move on to AWS news. Uh, so Friday night, as I was wrapping up for the day, I got, I got this email in my inbox and it said... Uh, you know, it was from Amazon about a new feature for guard duty for EKS, which is not the way they typically announce anything because normally they just, you know, announce it into, into nothingness. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they basically, this email starts out, guard duty for EKS protection is now enabled for your account for a free 30 days to expand threat detection to cover Amazon EKS. And if you operate from a guard duty admission account, the EKS protection is now also enabled for all of your member accounts. And I said, well, that's that's interesting choice, uh, you know, because, A, I don't use EKS in my account, so I don't know why you would turn this on for me. Uh, but then I kept reading, and uh, it was all good until I got to the free trial period will end on February 24th, 2022, at 23.59 Pacific Standard Time. The following the free trial period, EKS production will convert to paid usage. <laughs> well, now I have a problem. <laughs> Because, you know, we started out like, fine, you gave us access to a feature, that's fine. But now you're going to turn it on by default and you're going to charge me for this thing that I didn't ask you to do. This is, you know, completely not something I would expect from Amazon. Uh, and it's something I think completely violates trust of their customers in big ways. And of course, most of the internet did as well. And by Tuesday, February 1st, uh, they rolled this back. <laughs> so they are not going to charge you um, after the free trial is over. Uh, but, you know... In general, this is just kind of a ridiculousness. And so I'm starting to wonder what's going on over at AWS. Uh, you know, we talked about the Okta, or sorry, the, uh, not the Okta, the, um, the Orca issues uh, with, you know, the security rollout and why they didn't do a better blog post and, and, you know, and how they miffed that. And now we have this, you know, we're turning on things in your account that are going to cost you money. You know, and I saw the earnings, you know, we'll talk about earnings next week, but uh, they look pretty good. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure why they're turning on features that are going to cost me money with no, no notice and... Now put the onus on me to go turn this stuff off. Mm, wait for the customer. He'll let a sales guy. He'll let a sales guy into the product pricing room by accident. <laughs> wait for the customers who do want it turned on. They get it turned off on the February twenty fifth because you know the system doesn't tell the difference between somebody who turned it off who didn't want it or somebody who didn't turn it off who did want it. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, you can turn it back on, and that's a choice. Like you know, yeah, if, if you're using it, you'll, you're most likely going to do that after thirty days. It, I, I mean, any time where you're going to spend my money, like, no, I want that to be, that needs to involve some action on my behalf, right? I enable auto scaling, I enable these things, and, you know, and I assume the cost for that. And that's important. And so, and I thought it was very interesting how they, they rolled it back too, which is that they're still going to enable it automatically and have it run for 30 days, and then they're going to turn it off and show you the cost, mm. right? So it's like, I think that's sort of uh, a tell on what they were trying to accomplish, which is like, I imagine the idea is that it's going to be three dollars and fifty cents, and um, and they're going to want you to turn it back on, right? Yeah, I I hope that's, that's at least what they're doing. I, mean, I did try to go look yeah. at the pricing because I thought maybe it's really cheap. You know, like CloudTrail's <laughs> pretty cheap. You know, like other than the data storage you're paying for, um, but you know the pricing model on this thing is is not easy to decipher by the you know, by a layman. Uh, and so I you know I think that's a bit of the challenge. But again, 
I also wondered, like, is there something so wrong with your EKS implementation that they desperately want you to see it in guard duty so you'll fix it? <laughs> and that's why they turned it on for everybody so you now know you have this one problem. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, you know, not the best light for Amazon this month. I think it's more along the lines of Kubernetes is very popular and, you know, sort of ubiquitous. And so, you know, they're using the open source product to back EKS and they're not really in control of all the patching and vulnerabilities and, and, and that. And so I think it's, I think they are a little worried that they're going to end up, you know, having to deal with multiple customers who just got their Kubernetes clusters owned somehow. I see so many angles to this. I mean, I think I agree with all of you. I think it's a huge gaffe to just say, hey, we're going to make you pay for something you didn't ask for. But I can also see like people turned on guard duty and they didn't turn it on for uh, EKS service clusters because it didn't exist yet, but they turned it on for everything. And they kind of turned on guard duty and they want everything on. And so as guard duty adds new features, they expect to, you know, have those added without them having to go research it and do it. Well, I, and then it, right? it was unclear to me though, that if I didn't have guard duty enabled as well, would it also have turned on guard duty, which could, you know, no, that would be, that would be a different story. I mean, I, I, so that's the way I read it was that they were enabling guard duty. Yeah. They were not only yeah. enabling this for EKS, they're also enabling guard duty in your account. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was where I also had some concerns because guard duty can be expensive depending on what you have it checking out. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I'll go check. I'll go check my accounts that don't have guard duty because they're uh, accounts that I try to get hacked. But uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> we have we have sandbox accounts that I can go look and see if uh, guard duty got enabled. That's a good idea, actually. I have a couple. Yeah, yeah. I can go look at my account as well, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm now, I'm, now I'm more intrigued by this foghorn uh, honeypot situation going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of good stuff going on. What kind of data is in this honeypot? Like, what are what's the bait? Lots of questions. There, I'll tell you what. It's it's uh it's the 49ers next offseason uh, <laughs> recruiting plan draft plan is in there if you can get in. Trade Jimmy Garoppolo for first round draft pick. Yes. <laughs> That's the plan. Yes, Cal Shanahan entrusted in Foghorn to secure that, and instead I just put it in a sandbox account. Yeah, perfect. Nice, <laughs> nicely done. All right, well, while you guys do a real-time follow-up, I'm going to move us on to our next story, and then uh, you can bring us back to the first one if you guys determine that guard duty was turned on or off. But uh, Oh, my God. Can you do it or can I do it? I don't know if I can do it. Let's see. I, I, you, guys, you guys committed to doing it. I could have done it as yeah. well. You're going to hear angry. The problem is everyone's going to complain about angry typing. Here, I'll do it quietly. Angry typing is the best. Okay, you Ish. Yeah. All right. Well, Amazon is releasing a new EC2, X2, I, E, Z, and instance, which rolls right off the tongue, powered by the fastest Intel Xeon scalable CPU for memory-intensive workloads. Uh, the uh, This uses the Cascade Lake processors with an all-core turbo clock frequency of 4.5 gigahertz and up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM. Hey, this might run uh, elastic for you guys. Use that. Uh, AWS <laughs> says that this they deliver a 55% better price performance per vCPU compared to the X1e instances. Uh, these instances you can turn off Intel hyper threading as as well as enable NUMA for memory access if you understand your application's memory access patterns, which you know everyone uses the uh, you know SDK, so no one knows how their access patterns are. Uh, and as this is now the new most expensive instance you can run at a low low $1,217 per month uh, for the lowest uh, shape, up to $7,305 per month. Uh, and so, you know, make sure you know what you're doing with these or you'll make your CFO cry when you get to the bill. So uh, these are pretty nice, but uh, very expensive. And it, But if you have these workloads, you are desperate for this performance. 
pricing like that, it's going to fit right in with the Oracle pricing or the SQL Server licensing that's it's probably intended for. <laughs> the goal is that the number is big enough, but not bigger than the SQL or Oracle cost, right? So <laughs> get more money out of your core. Yeah, uh, I do. For core you know, license pricing. Yeah, exactly. This does do follow the new uh, I uh, labeling, which is for Intel. So you know, the instance naming is only get more and more complicated with these I's and the different letters uh, for AMD, et cetera. So uh, do keep that in mind. If you are curious why it's so long now, it's all because of the new uh, indicator for ARM versus Intel versus AMD uh, versus something else uh, that they probably will have in the future, which have different letters. Uh, just make your life more hard and more confusing and confuse you in the Amazon certification test. So, be great. Which of these combinations of letters does not exist? <laughs> a, B, C. Yeah, or right. <laughs> That'll be the question. All right. Well, moving to uh, Amazon is announcing a new open source project under the Apache License V2, the AWS CloudMap MCS controller for Kubernetes. It allows Kubernetes native service discovery capability that works across Kubernetes clusters. The multi-cluster service discovery allows applications to understand what services exist in an environment so that you can discover and communicate with each other, even when apps are deployed across several different Kubernetes clusters. Uh, this leverages, leverages some of the new CRDs proposed by the Kubernetes com community, including uh, the service export and service import CRD. Uh, so this is great. Uh, nice to see Amazon you know, launch their version of this. I'm sure everyone else will copy them and release their own competing open source projects because no one wants to use Amazon's. Uh, but uh, here you go. If you are in the a AWS ecosystem, this is a great way to go. If you're trying to do multi-cluster service discovery without and, you know, putting something like console or something else in place. And does it have to? I mean, is it? I was assuming that you don't have to be running on Amazon to get value out of this. You do not. Or is it tightly integrated with any AWS services? Uh, it, you do not. It is not. It is open source. It is not something you have to be on AWS to get advantage of. You can use it on Google. You can use it on Azure. Um, you know, unless you're trying to use a lot of the cloud map uh, capabilities, that's where it will cause you some challenges. But for right. the most part, you're good. Well, you can't complain that uh, I guess it's a little bit of proof that they're not completely trying to kill open source. Oh, they just push things into open source when it's convenient for them. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So real-time follow-up. Uh, oh, nice. Turns out my I do have GuardDuty enabled in my accounts, and so I quickly created a new one and uh, I, it does not come with guard duty enabled. And so we will see if it automatically gets updated, but I suspect that it's not. I, I think these are limited to just the Kubernetes detection. Now that I so just, it. just accounts that already had guard duty enabled now also enabled EKS mm -hmm. or the, yeah, these, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can things. count a new account you just created because, you know, well, and so I will, I, if it, if it changes, I'm going to leave it. Because uh, I, I assume in the next few days it would get enabled, you know. So we'll see. So you get a, you'll get a fun okay. email that'll confuse you, and then a retraction. You know, if, if it's yeah, I would have I would have thought they would have just turned this off after all of these issues. They were like, yeah, maybe this wasn't a good plan, and we're not going to do this at all for new accounts. But uh, you never, you know. And then did you get a different date for your ending time? I don't know. Questions now. Yeah, I mean that's it's. I like the, you know, I like what they're doing now after the, they've rolled it back, like enabling a thing, let it generate some findings, you know, prove its worth and then turn it off. But yeah, turning it on and charging me for it after 30 days, if I'm not paying attention, that's not cool. Yeah, that is not cool. Agreed. 
Uh, well, I, I also have a, an account that did not have guard duty enabled, and I know for sure. Uh, and I do see that it has now been turned on for my account. But Oh, uh, well, there you go. You know, and I'm also curious about other regions because guard duty is a regional service. Uh, and so that's sort of a curiosity too. Mm-hmm. This is riveting audio for our radio listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to tech nerds walk around a console, which by the way, the new console still sucks. Uh, two weeks later, I'm still not used to it. Uh, it's still, still sucks. Quite annoying. I'm getting used to it. Uh, I still want it to do more than it does. It's just to me, it's so much more like Microsoft, something Microsoft designed. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, so other regions are not going to enable though. So maybe that one did have it. I don't know. I don't, now I just have. We'll we'll wait for Ryan to come back with answers. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Google Cloud, where we actually maybe understand more what's going on or or not. Uh, you know, so you know, if you are worried about things like zero trust losing their meaning, uh, the other great example of something that's lost its meaning is the term going digital and what going digital means. Uh, And Google is here this week with the launch of a new dedicated digital assets team. Uh, This is building on their work with blockchain developers, exchanges, and others as they announced uh, using the new dedicated digital assets team with Google Cloud to support their customers building, transacting, storing, and deploying new products on blockchain-based platforms. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know anybody who thought digital meant blockchain. But apparently, if you put digital and assets together, that equals blockchain. I learned something new this week. The new team will enable their customers to accelerate their efforts in the emerging space and help underpin the blockchain ecosystems. Google points out that companies like Hedera, Theta Labs, Dapper Labs have all chosen to build their solution on top of Google Cloud for scalability, flexibility, and security. And the digital asset team will take a number of short and long-term initiatives to support customers with digital asset blocking blockchain ecosystems, including providing dedicated node hosting and remote procedure call nodes for developers allowing users to deploy blockchain validators on Google Cloud with a single click, participation in node validation and on-chain governance with some partners, help developers host their nodes on the cleanest cloud in the industry, of course, because it's green, even though they're doing blockchain, which is not green, Uh, support on-chain governance via participation from Google Cloud execs and senior engineers, and hosting several public BigQuery datasets on the marketplace, including full blockchain transaction history for Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, Litecoin, Zcash, Theta, Hedera, Hashgraph, Band Protocol, Polygon, RP, and Dogecoin, because everyone uses Dogecoin, uh, and driving all this code development for the Google Cloud Marketplace. Of course, the first big customer will be the IRS, as they now try to hash uh, and understand the blockchain so they can tax it properly. But no, so far, so good. So my first question for the digital assets team is, Can for, for each digital asset, do I need to generate a unique stock keeping unit? Or otherwise known as a SKU, because we're just going to bend all the silly digital terms, you know, of these things. It's ridiculous. And then do you have to put it into an NFT wrapper, or you know, <laughs> so all the questions. I will also not to get all like tech bro on you and you know push the glasses up. Blockchain is not terribly environmentally unfriendly. Mining digital currency is, but blockchain is just a ledger. That's true, but to get the, the data on the ledger, you know, and to use the blockchain, I do have to mine something that's just bad for the environment. So I, I hear, you? I, I hear you. You're, you know, you're cutting hairs, but uh, it seems mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. not great. But the proof of work, I think he's right, right? The proof of work associated with um, cryptocurrency is different from just using blockchain technology. Well, proof of work is what validates the blockchain. There are there are alternates. There's proof of stake. 
which which does not which Ethereum is moving to, which does not require the um, the huge amount of compute and power. Right, right. But um, but yeah, there's there's very few blockchains using proof of stake. That's what mine's going to use when I invent it. Yeah, but I mean, mining mining is literally getting paid for validating the blockchain. So you can't have you can't have transactions on blockchain without without the miners who are actually the processors who get paid for their work validating the chain. So you know, they, they kind of go hand in hand. So technically, I, I was correct, Ryan. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I take it all back. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> environment, 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 whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Cloud Big Table uh, to counteract your bills for your environmental damaging of the black, a blockchain now supports auto scaling, uh, plus several new features for optimizing your costs and improved manageability. Uh, Big Table is a fully managed, of course, scalable NoSQL database service for large operational and analytical workloads used by many leading businesses across multiple industries, per Google. Google is announcing the GA of autoscaling that automatically adds or removes capacity in response to the changing demand for your applications. And autoscaling, you only pay for what you need and you can spend more time on your business instead of managing your infrastructure. In addition to autoscaling, they have also recently announced a two times storage limit, allowing you to store more data for less money. Cluster groups uh, to provide flexibility on how you route app traffic to ensure a greater experience for all users and more granular utilization metrics to improve observability, troubleshooting, and workload management. And also, I'm sure, billing for Google. I mean, two times the data for the same price, and and it auto scales. I'm in. This is this is rad. Yeah, I love good big tables. I love announcements like this. And with the you know, you use a big table thing to now you know look at all of those uh, data sets of the blockchain to understand you know where your money went. So it's great. Win win. <laughs> well, did you hear about the YouTuber who created his own cryptocurrency? No. Just so that people would buy into it. I thought that was a joke. I really did think that was the beginning of a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Englishman and Irishman and a cryptocurrency nerd walked into a bar. <laughs> yeah. So he, he created created his own currency. His supporters bought into the currency, and he cashed out really quickly, pump and dump, and, and took them for their five hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah, I would have gone for more if I was doing that. <laughs> Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. All right, moving to Azure. Uh, they have announced the pre- public preview of multitasking in the cost analysis preview. And this is because they're so cutting edge that they decided to announce in a blog post that they now support tabs in the cost management analysis feature. Public preview includes a new tabbed experience to streamline your analysis as you drill into costs. And while I do make fun of this, uh, I have many times wished for tabs in the AWS console trying to compare certain spend types. So as much as I hate everything about this announcement on principle, uh, I do sort of wish this could get copied by others. <laughs> so. Here's another perspective. You want people in your UI team 
are who are friggin' get excited about things like this. So excited they want to write a blog post about it. That's a good point. I do want people that excited. Which I mean, because yeah. those are the people that are going to put that at a level of investment. If we're going to use that lens to apply to Azure, I am a little concerned that everything else that everyone else is doing at Azure, they're not excited about because they're not writing blog posts <laughs> about it. Um, I mean, if it was any other cloud, Peter, I think I'd be okay with what you just said. But you know, with Azure, I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that's a bit rough. The marketing yeah. team seems really proud of their naming. You know, yeah, that Ultra new logo, premium, logo. the new logo. <laughs> Is the story also in the lightning round? Uh, yeah, it is not. It is not, uh, and because we didn't we didn't do a show review before we started recording, uh, you guys didn't punt it there. But uh, I put it here because I just wanted to complain about it. So well, we can, I'll, I'll paste it in there. We'll talk about it later too. But, but really, but really, if, if you need if you need tabs for comparison, surely that's a a shortcoming of the of the cost tool itself. Surely you should be able to analyze and compare different sets of data in in one pane, then have to flick back and forth between two. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, like if you want different time horizons, I could see where that, you know, yes, different, da- you know, different types of costs, sure, should be able to the same de- in the same graph on the same timeline. But if you want to look like, I want a month view, then I want to look at a quarterly view, and I want to see, you know, that might be two different tabs. That might be a little more complicated. Yeah, maybe. I think it's just that the finance people are so used to having 50 tabs open in Excel, 50 sheets open in Excel, they just want to feel at home in the cost explorer in Azure now. <laughs> and so now they, can, now they can have that satisfaction of looking super busy. I mean, I will say there's not a, you know, I don't like any solution out there for for visualizing cost and spend and trending and forecasting. Like, I always feel like it's there's always some shortcoming. Either I can't compare, you know, you know, date range over date range, or I can't, you know, isolate specific data to to call it out outliers. So I, I kind of agree with your statement there, which is it'd be nice if the tool was a lot more functional instead of just multiple versions of it. Uh, so I did find a tool that I actually actually liked. Uh, for cost management that didn't cost an arm and a leg. Uh, so it, really? it's, yeah, it's, it's called Tevity, T-E-V-I-T-Y, and an enterprise license for unlimited data will cost you only $1,000 a month, or 1,000 euros a month. So it's like, what, buck twelve fifty ish And then do you store your own data, like in your own infrastructure and process it? Or yep, yep. You, you, do they do it? You can, Perfect. You can do it either way, but uh, they also have a partner thing. So if you're a partner, you can resell their product to your customers, which is cool. But uh, you know, for a cost perspective, it's super cheap and it supports AWS, GCP, and Azure. So just... Oh my God, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah. right now. Yeah. It's, must have, must buy. Yeah. I mean, for the price, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't argue with this product. I mean, <laughs> yeah. is it perfect? No. Does it give me all the visualizations that I ever wanted in Cloud Health and all the other tools that I was paying 3% of my monthly fee for? Yes, it does. Perfect. I will take this yeah. and I will yeah. take it to the bank. Nice tip for you guys. Uh, new performance and logging capabilities have come to Azure Firewall Service. Uh, and as well as some other enhancements. Uh, first of all, uh, currently, Azure supports 30 gigabits per second, which is sufficient for most customers. However, they do see some customers needing more throughput, and so they are, have added new capabilities, increasing that from 30 gigabits to 100 gigabits uh, per second, with almost a 300% increase in Firewall. With the Firewall Premium Boost, because, of course, it's called Premium Boost, uh, <laughs> you can enable this on your Firewall at any time, uh, and you will now charge, get, charge more money as your more throughput goes through the Firewall. Uh, if you are also complaining that you know you have your traffic being blocked by a specific rule in your firewall, uh, but you couldn't figure out which one it was, uh, their new feature for network rule name logging will now help you out, which allow you to identify with additional metadata 
added to your network logging which rule it was. Uh, so originally you had source, destination, IP, and port, and the action either allow or deny. At the new function, you get the policy name that blocked it, the rule collection group, the rule collection, and the rule name hit. So you can now pinpoint exactly what's blocking your traffic. And if you're curious how your Azure Firewall performs, they've written an entire white paper where they've given you all of the information you want to know about Azure Firewall performance uh, that helps support your growth to 100 gigabits per second through the Azure Performance White Paper. So there you go. I don't care about the white paper, but that rule name logging is yeah. pretty convenient. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. just neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah. that one as well. I was like, oh, I've I've been in, you know, some of the yeah. some of the things like, you know, look at what is the on the VPC where you're doing the the flow logs and you're like, oh, I just want the simulator, you know, the simulator yeah. too, but like, I just want a little more metadata, yeah. just a little bit more it would really help me out tremendously. Yeah, New, you name all your rules starting with the the numerals, right? So that they go in the predictable order, and then you start like enabling and disabling them in order <laughs> until you can recreate them. This is much better than that. Brian, I don't know if you remember our first POC on AWS that we were doing on your network. <laughs> this would have come in really handy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's how I learned how Amazon VPC Ackles work. Or did yep. it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the lovely Ackle and the security group, because we like to be confusing in all ways. So. Well, the Oracle uh, RSS feed has delivered once again this week with some doozies, let me tell you. You know, there was over 100 blog posts. I had to say that Oracle marketing is on point. Like, they are blogging like crazy. Uh, and sometimes they blog things like this. Multi-cloud strategies should consider Oracle Cloud to modernize legacy Oracle footprints. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, you should. Because if you're spending billions of dollars on my, on Oracle licenses, you should definitely get a deal by moving it to Oracle Cloud so they can put your logo on their website and get a significant discount on your Oracle database. I just have to say, that's it's yes. the best thing you could ever do. Uh, and this is an entire article about how you should do that uh, with many examples, including uh, Shared Services Canada's uh, CTO basically saying, budget reductions are going to be a shock to the system. And while government organizations might be experiencing some of that already, it's going to hit really hard in the next couple of budget cycles. On top of budget limitations, the government of Canada is grappling with an erosion of experienced information technology resources with close to 40% of these employees now eligible for retirement. This scenario is going to force departments and ministries to assess their most critical functions, prioritize, and then figure out how to deliver those services as efficiently and effectively as possible. Part of this solution is accelerating the migration to cloud to reduce their dependency on dwindling internal resources. And his plan is move it all to Oracle. There you go. So isn't that really just a rehashing of the same problem that, you know, most IT professionals have been doing for the last 20 years. Like, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I don't want to manage my own legacy Oracle footprint. And so the fact that they're going to take that, move it to the cloud and then run it for me, I'm all for that. So many, many times here on the cloud pod, we have joked that Oracle's regional strategy is in people's garages with a rack or two. They just plug into the wall and and hope for the best. Um, And, you know, Oracle apparently wanted to respond to that by giving us a blog post called See What Powers Our Cloud Regions, a look inside an Oracle Cloud data center, which is fantastic. It gives you an overview of their regional strategy, which they do not debunk my strategy that they're using garages and, you know, or, you know. (laughs) storage bin somewhere with with racks of servers. So they don't discount that with the region part. And then they give us a video, a video, folks, of the Oracle Cloud Data Center itself, where they show you things as amazing as power distribution, water cooling distribution, N plus one architecture of a data center that you've hopefully seen in every data center you've ever toured. And then they go into a bunch of buzzword bingo with you know multiple layers of security and built to scale and industry-leading resiliency controls. But again, 
you know, they didn't say which data center this was or if they all look the same, but at least one of their data centers is a legit data center, the rest of them could still be garages. Even if it is. Putting a video together today that shows dual power supplies is like, I, I feel like I'm going to a party and I'm dressing in 90s clothes. That's funny. I had to laugh at the blog post's name, Croft. <laughs> <laughs> You wonder why the Oracle blog's full of yes, <laughs> full of the things it is. It's Croft, yeah. The guy's name's literally Croft. <laughs> I just I hit play on this video and it's playing, and I, I forgot they showed us the man trap because every high quality senior yeah. data center has a man trap. <laughs> uh, yes, it's all a person trap nowadays. Is that, are they all that? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh sorry. god. <laughs> <laughs> that, there, was, there was actually we were talking about some technology the other day, and I was like, you know that. That name actually makes me somewhat uncomfortable. It's not the master-slave thing, which is also bad, but there was, there was a different one, and I was just like, I'm surprised this hasn't gotten, this hasn't gotten uh, replaced with some better name. I have to think what that was, but, uh, you know, like you start having this, like, like, wow, you know, in this new politically correct world we live in, that name is not really great. <laughs> it's just one unfortunate thing after another. And then the final gift from the Oracle uh, blog feed, uh, they had a whole blog post about Oracle Visual Builder, and can any of you guys guess what the Oracle Visual Builder is? I don't want to guess. Uh, like, I'm stuck on data centers now, so I'm like, well, I can visualize my rack, my server rack. I don't, I got nothing. No, no. Yeah. Visual Builder is a no-code solution, folks. Oh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you can visually create logic flows within the Visual Action Chain Editor, and then you know publish that to their application connected to your Oracle database. You're paying way too much money for this use case for, by the way, and you know get a web page and you can take some basic data in as a no-code solution. So. I thought you guys would be super excited because you know, another great no-code solution is always great. No. All right. Well, that ends our preview of the lightning round. Uh, and let's go to the real lightning round now. <laughs> <laughs> for the next episode, we're going to be charging you for that preview. ABS CloudMap API now supports IPv6. Because <laughs> my distributed systems aren't confusing enough. Excellent. I just started thinking about the map of IPv6. I'm like, oh, that's one of those like really detailed. Like, I get the magnifying glasses out. I gotta really like peek at the map because you can't see all those IPs. It's, just, it's hard to see. I should have figured they charge you per IP. They do for the IP <laughs> AWS IP address manager. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotta think again before you de- deploy that slash sixty four subnet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what comes next is the uh, the next rev IPv8. It's called MAC addresses. <laughs> Amazon RDS Performance Insights now supports query execution plan capture for RDS for Oracle. I look forward to the next feature, uh, which takes this execution plan and tells you how much cheaper it would be on Postgres. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, you know it's bad when they have to deliver features like this, where it's like, this is going to be expensive. <laughs> yep. Amazon SageMaker Autopilot adds support for Apache Parquet file format. Every time I see Parquet, I just think parrots. Parrots for some reason. Parakeet, that's right. I was going to make a bird joke, but I didn't think anyone else would get it. I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. I was like, (laughs) pair, yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's interesting because I either think Parquet, wooden Parquet floors. Oh, see, that's because you're older than us. Or I think, well, I am. Uh, The other one is... 
<laughs> parkour. I think of parkour. Parkour, yeah, okay. the jumping so, around and stuff. Yeah, I thought of croquet, which is you know it's so I, I don't know what that says about me. On the croquet, croquet with suddenly croquet. I'm picturing you wearing a polo shirt and uh, fancy shorts mm-hmm. out in the yard with a giant mallet. Yeah. Improved progress updates for blue green deployments in Amazon Open Search Service. I much prefer no, just thinking the thing that crashed and died in horrible death. Why I was trying to change its, you know, shape or whatever, but you know, whatever. You can give me visualization that you're now doing blue-green deployment. Thanks. Yeah, statuses include things like time to book your tickets to the Bahamas. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, still deploying. That chart is gone. Yeah, I think this is a most requested by the, like the the AWS console team, right? So it's like quit refreshing the page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Amazon Kinesis Data Firehose now delivers to Honeycomb. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? A no-code solution that's just going to consume. No, 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 no. wait, no. Honeycomb is a company that makes a monitoring tool. I made this mistake as well. Oh, I, I read that as Honeycode. Yeah, I know. That's the next story. Okay. Honeycomb, though, is the monitoring tool. And, you know, if anybody can actually take Kinesis Data Firehose data and actually use it, it's Honeycomb because their product can scale pretty well. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool. I totally read Honey Code as well. I wonder if I said Honeycomb or Honey Code. Com- you said go Comb. I listened for it. Oh, good. All right. Awesome. Good job, Peter. Okay. I give myself a point for that. Yeah. Um, Amazon AppFlow now provides Amazon Honey Code connectivity to several cloud applications. So it's gone from not useful to barely useful. I was thinking that someone hadn't forgotten about Honeycode. I was just impressed. It's been like a year since they released anything for this product that was supposed to be the future of Amazon. Yeah. Uh, finally got a feature, you know, a year later. Wait, the future of Amazon? Who said that? There was a whole bunch the of articles honey- about how they were, you know, honey, you know, no code is gonna be this big future push for them. And they hired all these experts and no code and how they were gonna revolutionize the market. And then they released Honeycode and we all laughed at them and how yeah. ridiculous it was. And then they haven't released a single feature since uh, December of 2020, I think. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, great. Thanks. And they also haven't renamed it. I mean, I which mean, is the biggest uh, failure. Which is the, yeah, the definite biggest failure. I mean, this just means that there's hope that Simple DB will still get a feature someday. It is, or maybe the uh, the whole AppFlow integration is just to help people export stuff out of Honeycode. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Shut it down. While Amazon Textract adds synchronous support for single page PDF documents and support for PDF documents containing JPEG 2000 encoded images. I mean, I have two thoughts on this. Number one, you're telling me that Textrack could not handle a single-page PDF prior to this release? Like, no, that's what it means. It means that you can sit there and wait for it to give the answer back instead of asynchronously having to pull uh, okay. for it too. Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done that's yet? That's stupid. And then who uses JPEG 2000 in 2022? Come on. This good question. Healthcare. <laughs> Uh, it would only be healthcare. Yes, healthcare. Yeah, fair point. AWS step functions adds. Is this real? Yes. <laughs> AWS step functions adds mocking support for testing workflows locally. Hey, developer, you suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I just like to I like to mock the developers who use stuff functions, but now I mean, at least they can mock their work before they they try to put it in production. That's good. 
Yeah. You call that an API? <laughs> yeah. Who designed the state machine? Rube Goldberg? Uh, <laughs> Amazon MSK now offers the ability to scale storage throughput up to a thousand megabytes per second per broker. Because that's what everyone needs is a Kafka queue that can perform a thousand megabits per second. If that's your architecture, uh, I'm not sure this is the right solution, but yeah. Yeah. What What are you putting in, in there? Yikes. The other end of the Amazon solution for MSK, though, is it's literally printing dollar bills as people use this service. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. And let's wrap it up with Azure Key Vault increased limit service limits for not some of its customers, all of its customers. Remember that Google announcement where, you know, Bigtable now uh, supports 2x the data for the same cost? Yes. Now we, now we know what Azure Key Vault's based on. Oh, oh. Nice. I was thinking that, you know, it's increased service limits for all customers until they released Azure Key Vault premium service limits. <laughs> Extra. All right. I got to give the winner to just the first one to jump in on the mocking one since that one made me laugh before I even read it. <laughs> so Jonathan yeah. gets the win. I like Yay. it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's fine. Thank you. Well, you know, I'll take it. It's only fair. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, things are coming up in the cloud world. I did more research, so I've continued to expand this list. But the most important one is if you want to do Azure Open Source Day. Uh, by the time this show drops, which would be you know like four or five days before this happens, would be the Azure Open Source Day. So go do that. Sign up for that. It's online only. We we'll do all those fun things, and then after that, you have some more time to procrastinate. Uh, so you've got the SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference in April. You've got IBM Think in May, KubeCon Europe in May, RSA Conference in June, uh, and then a bunch of other stuff we don't care about yet. But you know, I do did find out a couple things to share. So first of all, uh, AWS summits are back this year once again, uh, and so they will be between April and October for US because we like to have a hundred of them in the US uh, leading up to reInvent. Uh, APAX will be in May. EMEA will have a few April through June. Uh, which is great. Uh, the DevOps Enterprise Summit is coming back to in-person. So if this is the DOES uh, Summit, these are guys behind uh, the uh, Phoenix Project and some of those things. Uh, so they have a virtual summit coming up uh, May 10th through the 12th. And you, if you want to present there, you can actually submit a CFP. Uh, the registration is over for the virtual version of that event. But then they're going to do an in-person flagship event again in Vegas, October 18th through the 20th, which is pretty cool. Uh, I might try to get to that. And then reInvent uh, is allegedly going to be November 28th through December 2nd because that's what it's been for the last five years. It's a pretty good guess. Uh, they have said reinforce is going to happen in person in Houston in June. So at least it's not July or August. So I'll give them that. Um, you know, hopefully there won't be another variant wave of, of uh, COVID to cancel that again in person. Otherwise, it's just the cursed conference, uh, which is good. And then according to Moscone's website, uh, Google Next will be June 6th through June 8th. Uh, no word on Open World or Ignite or Build or any of those conferences still, but uh, I keep an eye out there for you in the world of events and things. And, you know, again, we're we're getting to the point where it might be some in-person events, which would be nice. Uh, we'll see how it goes. So that's uh, anything you guys excited about there in that list of events I just shared with you? No. no I I'm still trying to visualize leaving the house. Like <laughs> We did get you out to reinvent, so, I mean... Mm-hmm. There is some concept of you leaving the house. I yeah, I, I definitely will not be attending a summit this year. I can tell you that much. Yeah, I think I'm going to wait for, the, for the, the content of virus you know ratio there. Like you know, will I get good content that I care about versus getting coronavirus? 
I can't make that balance properly. So, <laughs> yeah. I've wanted to go to Blackout for a while, but it's just so expensive. Yeah, I did. I was going to put Blackout on their list. I did see that dates for that. Uh, oh, I did put it on the list August 6th and 11th. But, uh, you know, I had to buy it on our laptop just to burn when I got back. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so you know, that's an extra cost to your controversy ticket you had to factor in. All right. Well, that's it for this week in the cloud. We'll see you next week. See you later. Good night. Bye, everybody. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.